Welcome to Best Friend Simulator, a quality hangout in podcast form with your simulated best friends, Josh and Dennis. Dennis, I I need to check in with you really quick. Uh, We're... You're Dennis, right? Hello. And I'm Josh. Hello. This is still Best Friend Simulator, right? Yes. You still live in Philadelphia. I still live in Seattle. We've, yes. We've been friends for a long time. We met in middle school. Oh, yes. Okay. I had a, an, an experience about a half hour before we got on this call. Um, I'm not convinced I still exist in the same world I've lived in for the, the first 41 years of my life. All right. Please explain. I was on YouTube. Like searching or you, searching, per, you searching. appeared in a video? I was I was scrolling on, on, on YouTube and one of the recommended videos was a song from a man named Viper. Okay. And I, I included the cover in the chat there if you want to take a look. All right. Let me take a look. I can definitely find the chat. All right. Okay. Do you want me to read the title of this picture that you posted? Yes. I'm assuming it is the cover of a CD. It's a uh, much too close up of uh, of a man, a photo of a man, and the title is Yule, Y O U apostrophe L L. Yule cowards don't even smoke crack. Yes, he's got he's got a point. It's true. He's very he's very on point with that. So I I of course looked at that. I was like, oh shit, I need to click on that, and it is super weird kind of outsider rap. But the problem is, this came out in 2008 and has been a thing on the internet. How does that happen? What, what do you mean? Like, has been a thing since 2008 or yes. has been a thing recently? It's been a thing since 2008, apparently. I thought you were going to say, like, all of a sudden somebody discovered it, which gave me hope for our little listen to podcast that one day, all of a sudden, somebody would be like, yo, I found these geniuses. It, yeah, no. Uh... So I hold on. Wait, wait. Can I pause you for a second? Do you mean yeah, no, like that's never gonna happen, or yeah, no, that's not what you're talking about? Take your pick. Fine. Uh, continue. So my thing is weirdo outsider rap from a dude calling people cowards for not smoking crack is so in my shit. Like that's a thing that should 100% be on my radar, and it's been out there for 10 years, and I don't know about it. But... So I think I maybe crossed into a parallel world. Where the one difference is that this exists, and it didn't exist in my previous world. But my argument against your argument is that there's so much random crap on the internet that it's easy to overlook something, even something as amazing as you'll cowards don't even smoke crack. I think we should pause for a second here, and you should listen to a little bit of the song. Okay. Uh Here's a little stuff for you busters. Hold on. Now, can I be a rapper? Probably. Because there's some stuff that I've been listening to on YouTube specifically, and it's like, it's bad. And this is bad. And I just listened to literally 34 Mm. seconds of it. 
Does it all sound like that? Like it's like a weird computer generated thing? Yeah. Hmm. I'm kind of into it. Okay, so now that you've heard it, though, Mm -hmm. this should be a thing I knew about. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I'm wondering what happened. Is this like a, a reverse Mandela effect situation? No, I'll tell you what happened. In the hours and hours that you could be spending discovering this bullshit, you're busy listening to multiple versions of Down with the Sickness by Disturbed. Oh, God, you're right. I'm being punished by God. No, there's no God. You're punishing yourself because you get locked into this shit. Don't blame God for right. your own horrible taste. No, you're not right. This is a reverse oh, Mandela God effect situation. It's an actual explainable situation i don't i don't even it know is the reverse mandela effect is. i was suddenly mm-hmm. transported well you know what the mandela effect is right yeah nelson mandela freedom fighter he <sighs> affected change in south okay, africa th- th- this isn't a funny bit <laughs> oh, oh is, i asked you a serious question is, that is, I'm hold, hold on is nelson mandela off limits for jokes because he just died no no i'm concerned here that i have been transported to a parallel world I am not a native to this dimension, Dennis, and you're cracking wise about the freedom fighter Nelson Mandela. Well, you also just didn't pick up on the fact that I said he just died, and he didn't just die. So maybe you are in a parallel universe. So Nelson, no, Nelson Mandela, no, Mandela effect. Uh Uh-huh. For those of you who don't know. We all know what it is. is In Australia, the toilet flushes the different direction. Okay. Is that not it? I hate you. You, you don't hate me. <gasps> maybe if you maybe you are in a parallel universe because you hate people me in a parallel have universe. memories of shit that what didn't exist. Bernstein Bears versus Bernstein Bears, uh, a movie starring Sinbad. Uh, Necessary Roughness. A single movie starring Sinbad. No, people have a, a memory of Sinbad as a genie in a movie. It didn't. Ha- no. See, here's the problem with that. Okay. Let me explain. Okay, hold on. Before we get to debunking it, uh, let me explain what, what people think it okay, is. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. They think alternate universes collide and overlap, and some people are from different worlds. Or, motherfuckers don't know how to spell, in the case of the Berenstain Bears, and motherfuckers are racist because they're confusing Sinbad with Shaq. Mm-hmm. So, I think I have a point. Oh, and it's called the Mandela Effect because a lot of people already thought Nelson Mandela was dead. Oh. They, they remembered it on the news and stuff, and it turned out he wasn't. That's because people don't pay attention. So this is a reverse Mandela effect situation. I'm the sole occupant of another universe where vipers fire track. Yule cowards don't even smoke track. Don't even smoke crack. <laughs> oh man, I'm I'm shook here. But maybe you're shifting. Uh, maybe you're shifting dimensions as we speak. I could be. Oh, that's tough. So, speaking of traveling through various dimensions, we would be remiss if we didn't say R.I.P. to Art Bell, who passed away last week. We would have mentioned it earlier, but last episode was pre-recorded, so, yeah. Yeah, I never I never did listen to Coast to Coast, but uh, I've heard people love it, and it's responsible for a lot of the things we talk about on this podcast. Exactly. Yeah, we, we reference Art Bell often. Many, many stories are, can be connected back to him, and... If it wasn't for him, we probably wouldn't know about so many of the weird things that entertain us. So, yeah, much respect. Hope you are doing a talk show in heaven Ooh. with Jesus. Ooh, who else would be on? Jesus. Jesus. Uh-huh. Uh, Nelson Mandela. Okay, finally. Uh, Terminator X. Mm, who would be the musical act? 
Terminator X. Oh, okay. I guess that counts. He would be DJing. Okay, and then, oh, so he would be like the, the band leader DJ? Yeah. And who would be in the house band? It have it would have to be Heaven's Greatest Musicians. Okay, I think we're not on the same page here, because I was referencing earlier episodes, people that I have said were dead that aren't dead. Oh, okay. Like Jesus. Wait, wait, Jesus isn't dead? No, he's alive. Oh my god, this- Remember, he was eating a bunch of Easter candy here? Oh, that's- Wait, whose house was he at? I forgot. It was at mine. Oh, that's right, because he yelled um, at him. Unlike Ricky- who last episode I thought was at my house, but apparently he was at yours. Yeah, you forgot about that. Oh my god, maybe Ricky. maybe you're right. Wait, is Jesus still at your house? Perhaps I should attempt to remember episode to episode. Little little continuity. You'd like that, huh? Sure. Yeah, well, fuck yourself. <laughs> Welcome to Best Friend Simulator. I don't remember shit. I don't remember shit about shit. So, Josh, R.I.P. Bell. moving forward, we have living things to take care of and living people, and I am here... To announce that I will be living at least four months longer because my blood pressure is now down nice, to an dude. acceptable level, which means I have blood pressure to spare, which is what I said to somebody when I was driving past them and they were driving like an asshole and I yelled at them. I would try to curb myself in the past, but no more because I'm not going to die from a heart attack anytime soon. So I can yell at any motherfucker I want to for the stupid shit they do with the windows rolled up. So I have to yell louder. Good, 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 good. Wait, though, if you had blood pressure to spare. Right. Doesn't that mean you you have too much? I have uh, I have um, some wiggle room. Between normal blood pressure and high blood pressure. Yeah, but you if you say you have something to spare, that means you have a surplus of it. You have more than you need. I have... If you have lower blood pressure, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have a surplus of it. Mm. So if my blood pressure... In this case, though, it's not exactly like that. Because if my blood pressure was high, I wouldn't want to get myself riled up because I don't have much space to go before death. But Yeah, now I, I, I get that. I get that. I but I'm saying... I'm. I'm taking issue with the phrase, I have blood pressure to spare. Well, how about this? Why don't you come up with a a phrase on the fly while you're yelling at people, and I'll be all ears. Sorry if I'm trying to rattle stuff off here when I'm by myself in the car. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come at you like that. You're really upset. You know, uh, uh, regular parallel dimension Josh isn't so curt with me. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I just got a lot on my mind. Like, what else is different about this world? I don't know. I mean, like, what am I going to find out? You voted for Ted Nugent for president, and look what he's done. What? Dude, don't fuck with me like that. I can't wait till he becomes president. Really? What? You can't wait? What did I say? Speaking of Ted Nugent. You're a real piece of work. (laughs) But listen, I have high blood pressure. Oh. You never told me. So I have some to spare. So can I send you some? No, I'm trying to get rid of that shit, B. Oh. But can't we like can't we hang out and I give you a little bit of my blood and we even out? I don't think you understand how blood pressure works. It like levels out. Yeah, we just hook our systems together. I'm gonna level you out. That's rude. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? So we what have you been up to, buddy? Uh so Other than fucking killing your blood pressure situation. Yeah. Good job. Killing it. I'm gonna eat a lot of salt, get that shit back up. <laughs> anyway. Um what am I been up to? What am I been up to? I don't even know what, how to speak. Having trouble speaking What am you been English. up to? Went to look at a house today. Oh. I, meant, okay. I mentioned before. 
um, before I told my landlord that we were thinking about moving, <laughs> so I have spoken to him after he realized what was up. Uh, we went to go look at a house to rent, and uh, a gentleman, apparently a bachelor, was living there by himself. And Alexis, my partner, uh, did not notice some of these things or was not miffed by it, but I loved how the person did not clean it all before we came over. Thank you. And he he had a flag. First, he had an American flag hanging up in his bedroom to each his own. God bless America. I mean, this is where all my friends are, but whatever. But he had a flag, another flag hanging up in a different bedroom. So maybe it was two people. Anyway, the flag said Saturdays are for the boys. But it was like a well-made flag, so I'm guessing it's like a thing that I don't know about. Okay. So uh, you and I were discussing before we started recording, and you said, oh, maybe that's a thing. So I looked it up, and it is a thing from Barstool Sports, which is a sports-based comedy blog, according to Reddit. And I guess an employee... So this person says, an employee tweeted something pretty funny about a homeless dude yelling, Fridays are for men, but Saturdays are for the boys. So that's a thing that dudes say. And I and and I looked it up on Urban Dictionary, and it says because okay. Urban Dictionary, of course, is the Wikipedia of words. Wait, is that true? Um and it says here that it is a legit excuse to tell your spouse you would rather hang out with your male friends on that day than engage in trivial activities with the Ooh. aforementioned. Take that, women. So in this, so as you know, Urban Dictionary gives you a little how to use it. Mm-hmm. And it says, spouse, we're having dinner with my coworker Janet and her boring husband Ben tomorrow. You can't do, darling. Saturdays are for the boys. Oh, take that, wife. Do you feel like we're just not dudely enough sometimes? Like we should be broing down and hanging out? And watching sports? Absolutely not. But we've always watched sports together, Josh. Stop fucking with me, Dennis. What? Wait, have we? Yeah, you love um, pickleball. Pickleball. The local pickleball team. And we're always playing basketball. I oh, like the film? No, we used to play a version of it in my gym class when I was in elementary school where people would throw a basketball, which is little dangerous and then run around some bases but you had to score a couple baskets before uh that sounds stupid i I got bored in the middle of that story and i stopped (laughs) so i've been thinking about talking to alexis about how saturdays are for the boys okay so what what would that look like for you oh um you know actually you know funny I, i uh saturday yesterday was for the boys i went to a bachelor party Ooh. My cousin Mike is getting married. I was invited to go to a Philadelphia Phillies baseball game and hang out in a luxury box and which is like a just like a cordoned off area and they had like food and stuff and only we could go in there and yeah, people like to drink a lot more than I do. I did successfully avoid going to the strip club though. Okay. So, win for me. Yeah, that's always awkward. Do you remember when our friend Randy was having his bachelor party oh, in New I, Jersey? I, and I do. We were driving down from Philadelphia and decided to wait and be two hours late to it. So, we missed the strippers that they hired to come to the house. Oh, you are confusing bachelor parties, my friend. That was, was that? That was Dave's party and we went... Yes, we we decided to oh, wait, yeah. or we maybe stopped at a Wawa and hung out for a little while until we knew we the coast that. was clear, so we did not have to go to somebody's house and watch 
strippers. But we didn't. No, no slight against strippers. Oh yeah, look, I don't. I don't, dude. That's solely on me. I have look. Admittedly, I've been to a number of strip clubs. It's fine, but those were certain situations. We also went. We did go to a strip club for our friend Randy's bachelor party. We did. Where I remember that. Where um. Where our friends got together and pulled in some money for him to get the special bachelors like show where the strippers brought him on stage and proceeded to I can only describe as hurt him. They were slapping him with stuff. Yeah. And they also reached into his pants and pulled out his family guy boxers and cut them off of him. They like they like tore them <laughs> off. They did. And they took his belt <laughs> off and slapped him with it. And I'll never forget, there was a large security guard by the side of the stage. And um, at some point, he, he, he said, Amber, we talked about this. And the, the, the one of the performers who was hitting him calmed down. So I feel mm-hmm. like she had a thing before where she took out some, some anger on some patrons and was talked to about it and he was he was reminding her about it do you think perhaps her partner subscribes to the saturdays or for the boys situation oh and she's angry about it and she was pissed off she's like we were supposed to get dinner with ben tonight yeah or the people that go to strip clubs are um monsters (laughs) yes and she has to deal with it day in and day out uh, yeah. But let's make I don't I don't blame her. Yeah, let's make it a funny reason though. It's probably because her her dude is like, "Hey, baby, Saturdays are for the boys," and she's like, "God damn you!" Oh, I gotta go play pickleball. <laughs> so anyway, we got to watch one of our closest friends get hurt on stage, and uh, yeah, I was and like, was, "Why do we put money he in was for really this?" Upset yeah. Because he liked those boxers, and also he was really self conscious because I think he had sores on his waist or something. I thought he was embarrassed that he was wearing those boxers and people found out. No, probably not. (laughs) I think that was the least of his worries. Oh, what the fuck? (laughs) Anyway, I didn't go to strip club yesterday, but I did go 15 years ago for Randy's bachelor party, or I don't know how long ago (laughs) it was. I don't know time anymore. It probably was 15 years ago. Oh, speaking of things that make me very uncomfortable... (laughs) <laughs> uh, went to a wedding last week. Okay, uh, it was down in Northern California, and you know we we took a nice little road trip down. We went along the Pacific Coast, went through Oregon, Northern California. I got this cool Bigfoot shirt that I'm wearing. Do you want to tell everybody what it says? It has a, a it has a terrible rendition of Bigfoot yeah, on here. That's yeah, really bad. It looks like something a high school student would sketch in their notebook, and it says Bigfoot stepped on me in California redwoods, and on the back is a giant footprint. <laughs> That's funny. It's well done. It makes me laugh. Uh, yeah, so we, we went down to this wedding. Uh, it, was a, it was a very delightful wedding. It was very, very pretty. And I was, I was doing all right. But I have a hard time with people. I, you know this about I me. I do know this about you. Weddings involve people. Often people I don't know. Mm-hmm. Often loud situations. It's just a recipe for me crawling out of my skin. Yeah. So I want to go ahead and give myself... Uh, take a Barry Horowitz moment. Okay, now you have to explain what that means. I've been texting Dennis uh, a gif of the 90s WCW wrestler, kind of like a jobber type, Barry Horowitz, whose gimmick was he would walk in and on the back of his tights was a handprint 
and he would pat himself on the back. I don't know. It was such a shitty gimmick, but it was memorable. I love it. It's the best. Yeah, so Barry Horowitz. So in this situation, how did you get to pat yourself on the back? Well, we had the rehearsal dinner because Jamie was a, was a bridesmaid in the wedding. Okay. So we had this rehearsal dinner and I sat at the table with two people that I didn't really know. One of them I had talked to very briefly at a funeral like a year ago. Oof. Nelson Mandela's? Nelson Mandela's funeral, okay. yes. I had conversations with people I didn't know. What did you talk about? Did you First of all, did you promote the podcast? No. <sighs> I'm terrible at that. There were, look, I, I'm not going to say anything, but I know there were famous-ish people at this wedding, and you really could have got the word out. This would have been the yeah. perfect time to like print up some postcards and hand them out. Well, that's why I have Jamie, though, because she actually brought up the podcast way more than I nice. did. Nice. So nice. thank you, Jamie. Also, I forgot to give Jamie credit for something. When I was working on the Sierra Sounds stuff, she came in and said, what is this? It sounds like the dude from Corn Scatting. <laughs> so that was where I got the idea for, for that. Dude, so Jamie, thank you for that. She gave you an idea for one of the most memorable parts of the podcast. <laughs> I think I'll take a Barry Horowitz for that one. Good one. Go for it. But yeah, I, I had a conversation with our new friends, Chelsea and Chris. Hi, guys. You're not listening to this. Uh, oh, you didn't. Oh, I, I did such a good job that Jamie, when we left, was like, you did great tonight. And then the next two days of the wedding, I was a super awkward, quiet weirdo. How's that so, feel you when know. your partner tells you you did great for speaking words to people? <laughs> I No, I'm, I'm going to take it because I'm proud of myself. Good, you should be. I got to bust your balls because that's what I do on this podcast. Hi. His best friend simulator. One out of the three days that we were there, I did all right talking to people. So. I did see a photograph of you that we won't post because, God forbid, the 60 people that listen to us might figure out who the fuck we are. Um, <laughs> but uh, you look pretty sharp in a suit. Thank you. I'm it was, uh, I think, a part of this wedding had its, its kind of special magic to it. Mm. And I was able to find a suit that I actually looked good in that fit me well and actually fit around my neck i could button the top button comfortably which i can never do because i have a fat neck apparently you fat that's i don't think you're getting the right size shirts yeah also i think the problem is i wear a medium shirt and that's not really how that works yeah i always thought you had a fat neck i was like you know my oh. friend josh with the fat neck. what are you talking about you have a fat neck that's my joke because i don't have any shirts i can button up all the way i think just because you don't know how to buy the right size shirt it has nothing to do with the size of your neck Okay, fine. I'm going to have uh, listener Jim come on in here and give us uh, fashion tips. He'll tell you he'll anyway. tell you what size the shirt needs to be around your goddamn neck. That's true. But I, I just get shirts from, like, off the rack. I don't get, like, sized shirts. Yeah, I got you, but you got to just get the right size. Maybe you need a different cut. Yeah. I fit in a medium. Great. <laughs> what, do, what do I do there? <laughs> I think you're fucked. There's nothing, nothing we can do for you. <laughs> Um, now, do you like weddings? Mm, not really. Yeah. I gotta go to one. It's just, it's, it's an overwhelming thing for me. It's not, I'm not overwhelmed by, like, I sometimes think I'm a personable person, personable person, I, but mm -hmm. I get to a wedding, man, or a party, I don't talk to strangers. What yeah. am I gonna talk about? What am I gonna talk about? Trump? The weather? Like, and then I just want to punch myself in the dick. Like, what are we saying? It's tough. That's my thing is I just run out of stuff to say to people because I'm like, I, okay, I can't talk to this person about Bigfoot or bikes or role playing games. 
what else do I talk about? Or you go to weddings where it's like a giant family and some of these people haven't seen each other for years and they're related and they want to talk to their relatives and yeah. then I'm there and nobody wants to talk to me about my podcast or where they can find my podcast, where they can download my podcast. Like nobody just wants to talk about it. Do you want to talk about that, Dennis? About what? The podcast with me. <sighs> what would we talk about? Like about how to do it better or how to get more people to listen? How we should stop doing it. Oh my god, I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah. We should. Can we stop right now? Yeah. Wait, see, what are you doing? Where are you going? We gotta finish this out. We have a, we have a 50 episode I was, contract. I was pretending to stop the recording. I don't want to stop. I like doing this fucking thing. God damn it. Yeah, I, look, I got at least like three or four more episodes left of me. Hey, and we have more than 60 listeners. I know, I know. I love every listener we have. I've said this spiel before. Just, you know, let me just say what I gotta say, okay? Uh, we'll see how much I like doing this podcast in the summertime, because if you remember, we started in, like, August, September, and it was kind of rough. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what, like, June and July looks like, <laughs> and how stoked yeah. I am to do this. Or, yeah. or you might just be listening to the podcast and it just has a constant whirring in the background because I refuse to record without my air conditioner on full blast. So that might be a thing. That's fair. And if you don't like it, I apologize thoroughly. I'll just be recording shirtless so you guys can hear that. So wait, so did you dance at the wedding? No, I did not. dance. Not even at the a little wedding. slow dance cheek to cheek action. Eh, neither Jamie or I care about that. So we're good. Hmm. I, I really want to commend Jamie because she is not one of those. I'm sitting on the side just like, uh, and she comes back. Come on, you have to dance. Come on. I'm thankful for that. Thank you, Jamie. Good for you. She gets it. I did stand under a heat lamp because it was cold outside. Aww. It was me and somebody's baby in a stroller. Uh, Was the <laughs> owner of the baby around? Yeah. The, yeah. The baby's parents were around. Like close by or were you expected to watch the baby? Yeah. There was one point where she walked away and asked if I could keep an eye on the baby, just in case. Did you know her? Yeah. Okay. Not well, but... Uh, you know what I did at the wedding? What? Got mad at toddlers, like, irrationally. Uh, 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 I mean, like, what's an irrational anger at toddlers? So during the wedding ceremony, there was a toddler behind me. And as a part of the vows, they, they were pretty informal. You know, the, the married couple had their best friends up there kind of officiating the wedding. So there were some jokes and stuff. And they would say something funny and everybody would laugh. And then about two seconds behind, the toddler would like fake laugh really loud. What uh, What is the age of a toddler? Can you remind me? Uh, like two, okay. three. So let, let's hear the fake laugh of a toddler. <laughs> That's my kind of toddler. <laughs> I like a fake laugh from a child. And I was just like, you little fucker. You don't even know what they're saying. How can you think it's funny? Yeah. Shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, I think that little squirt was uh, trolling, y'all. Maybe. Did the toddler smoke crack? Or was the toddler a coward? That toddler was definitely a coward. Mm, see? <laughs> now, do you know the toddler's owners? No. Okay, good. So we could talk all the shit we want to. I don't know that toddler from Adam. <laughs> Do the toddler... Matter of fact, I bet that toddler's name was Ricky. Does the toddler or its owners listen to the podcast? Yes. I did actually talk to the toddler at length about the podcast. And he's like, man, you gotta fucking... Or she was like, yo, you gotta do something about this format. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, you're right. You said you admitted to the toddler that the toddler was right? 
I got schooled. You tell the fucking toddler that this is my pod or our podcast, and if they want to do a podcast, they can, but they should stay out of our business and just listen and shut up and sponsor any any items that we sponsor talk about promote. What you heard me? Put that toddler in its place. You get soft. You know what I did discuss with toddler. Uh oh, something inappropriate. Alien abductions. Ah. Real quick though, before you talk about that. What did you do with your toddler at the wedding? <gasps> what? Dennis, you can't fuck with me like that, dude. Too late, dude. I'm fucking with you. I'm flipping a fucking biscuit over here. Is that a thing? In my world. So what kind of stuff did you talk to the toddler about alien abduction? Or was that your perfect crowbarred segue into this week's... <laughs> Look, man... <laughs> I don't think everything, just so we're clear, I don't think everything has to be a segue. Speaking of toddlers, I'm going to talk about a childlike something. I think our segues for this episode, I'm looking at our notes, I think we nailed them all. So, Boom. Eat shit. Eat shit, Mandela. Why would you say that? Nelson Mandela is really having an effect on your life this week. Why would you tell him to eat shit, though? I don't Take it back. Because he's upsetting my best friend. It's not Mandela. He did this to you. No, he didn't. He created the Berenstain Bears. And then he... other Jesus that did this. He took Sinbad out of that movie about genies. That's just straight... Yeah, that's just straight racism, that part. It's Jesus who has been keeping Viper's song. (laughs) You'll cowards don't even smoke crack. Now I gotta listen to that record. So we were talking about alien abduction of toddlers. Continue. Not toddlers. Oh, okay. So I gotta let's let's do a little imagining here. Well, let's let's oh let's first of all let's open up the segment. Uh, hold on, I I'm, I got this. Oh, I got you got planned. a little intro. Yeah. Oh, we're getting professional. I think I do. Hold on, let me see. Yeah. What would you do if we were sitting in a car? We've we've spent a lot of time sitting in cars, just the two of yes. us. Yes. Just chilling and also observing the world around us and discussing that. That's an odd way to talk about how we hang out in cars, but I'll go with this for the sake of whatever you're trying to do. Okay. Yes, we observe from cars. Continue. What would you do if we were sitting in a car one evening, let's say in New York City, where they have paste salsa, <laughs> and yes, you looked up and saw a fucking UFO floating over someone's building. Okay. And a woman in a nightgown floating out of a window alongside of three aliens. How detailed do you want my answer? Uh, give me give me the the short version. Well, first I shit myself. Okay. Second, I would I don't I don't know. I think I think I'd just be so startled cuz I always have this plan of like what I'm going to do if something happens, but I think what's what's really going to happen in reality is I shit myself and then I take a long time to decide what to do next. That sounds about right. And that's actually, well, other than the shit themselves part, that's actually what happened to some alleged witnesses in the Brooklyn Bridge UFO abduction case on this week's episode of Josh's Should Have Thought of Something Before This. Always the paranormal portal. Let's go with Josh's Flying Saucer Fricassee. Josh's Alien Arboretum. Josh, gr- you are great. You should definitely try to think of this stuff on the fly. This is good. <laughs> oh, fuck it. Josh's paranormal portal. <laughs> okay. 
So this case has always been very fascinating to me. It's one of the the ones folks hold up as the case that proves something is really happening with aliens because there are a number of alleged witnesses in this one. I think uh, it's somewhere up to like 20 people, it said, have witnessed this. There's some issues with that, which we can get into. So this case centers around a woman named Linda Napolitano. She was known for a long time as Linda Cortila. That was her alias that was assigned to her in a book called Witnessed, the true story of the Brooklyn Bridge abduction by a guy named Bud Hopkins, Mm. who has come up on the show before, I believe. Uh, Hopkins is, or was, I should say, one of the, the renowned researchers on alien abductions in the field. Yeah, he came up because we discussed his first book, or no, his second book, Intruders, that was the thing that triggered... David Huggins' memories from Love and Saucers. So, yeah, real real quick rundown of Bud Hopkins. He was actually a pretty famous artist who got into UFOs in the 60s, started investigating them in the 70s, and then kind of that took over his primary thing. Instead of painting, he started becoming a full-time UFO investigator and then working with alien abductees. Uh, he put out a book in 81 called Missing Time, And a lot of people see him as the person who popularized a lot of the kind of tropes in alien abductions. And Missing Time is one of those, obviously. Yeah, he published Intruders in 87, which was an account of an alien abduction that happened on a farm. Uh, I actually picked up a copy of it at a thrift store on the field trip to put in the, the BFS research library. So basically, this case kind of started in 1991. Uh, Hopkins became pretty well known. People would reach out to him with UFO sighting stories, uh, alien abduction things. He was holding alien abduction support groups, and he was also seeing abductees or experiencers, if you will, and performing hypnotic regression to help them uncover memories. So he gets a letter from two alleged police officers named Dan and Richard, claiming that they witnessed three ugly but smaller human-like creatures levitating a woman from the window of her Manhattan apartment into a brightly lit UFO. The UFO then plunges into the river near the Brooklyn Bridge. Hmm. Hopkins is very shocked by this letter because it matches the account of a woman he had already been seeing about her experiences, Linda Napolitano. She read intruders herself i think she said she read like the first chapter and got so freaked out because it brought back a flood of memories that she had from her childhood of experiencing abductions and whatnot so she was involved in one of his support groups already so in 1989 she had a new experience and it synced up exactly with this letter that hopkins received so linda woke up at 3 a.m feeling a numbness spreading through her body she saw a small figure with a large head and eyes in the room with her Uh, she starts calling to her husband he's completely unresponsive so she throws a large decorative pillow at the creature and knocks it over her memories get kind of fragmented at that point but she remembers three figures taking her outside possibly through the wall And she is floated out into the air into a ship with bright lights. She's experimented on for two hours and then returned home. They were kind of quasi-medical procedures she remembers or she recalled through the hypnosis. It involved them lightly pounding on her back with some kind of instruments, like very lightly. Weird. Thorough examinations of her ears, her eyes, her scalp, and especially her nose. So another interesting thing about Napolitano 
was that a few years earlier, she had given birth to her first son and she noticed a small bump on the side of her nose in some pictures that she had seen of herself and the new baby. She eventually went to a doctor to get it checked out. The doctor examined it and said it's cartilage surrounded by scar tissue. And then he asked her, you know, when did you have surgery? And she has no memory of anything like that. So there's more on that later, too which is another one of the the holy grail pieces of evidence that people hold up that alien implants are real. So during the abduction, one of the things I, I felt I would be remiss if I didn't mention was that Linda remembered screaming, obviously, and the aliens keep insistently saying, Nabi egg, Nabi egg, no cave, cave, Nabi egg, no cave, at her. Mm, they want a nabi egg and no coffee. So she recalled replying to them in their language. She said, cave me or cave why or cave e? I don't know. Hmm. More on that later for sure, too. That The thing about this case that I love is it just keeps unraveling into crazier and crazier shit. So it kind of starts off with your standard alien abduction scenario, but then just goes fucking wild hmm. later. Okay, so... Back to 1991, Dan and Richard contact Hopkins again, requesting that they meet with Linda to confirm that it was actually her that they saw that night. Hopkins feels pretty hesitant because he doesn't want their stories to kind of cross-pollinate. He wants to keep them separate just to kind of keep the story straight. And he's also a little scared on the same hand of scaring off these guys because they seem pretty flighty. They seem pretty secretive. The men actually do approach Linda. They showed up at her apartment one day, flashing badges. Dan, who I actually wrote in my margins, is a real meatball, and he <laughs> he has a very strong New York accent in this, and I kept thinking Joey Bag of Donuts. We can reenact this later with our own voices. Exactly. There's actually a couple of Dan quotes that I kept in the notes for that reason. So Dan is the surlier of the two. He keeps badgering Linda. Yo, how'd you do that? In reference to the floating. And she kept insisting, you know, this wasn't something I did. This is something that was done to me. Both of the guys felt a great deal of guilt over not being able to help her. She said they could actually help her now by getting in touch with Hopkins and talking to him about the case and kind of lending credibility to the whole situation. They didn't want to make a phone call to Hopkins directly, but Richard agreed to make an audio tape telling his story. And yeah, Richard was was a bit cooler about things. He was pretty nice. Dan was kind of freaking out the whole time. When he first saw her, he put his hands over his face and was like, that's her, that's her. And throughout the encounter, he just seemed kind of freaked out by the whole thing and felt he was responsible in some way for what happened to her. Uh, she watched them leave, spied on them through the peak hole out, the, out of her door and watched Dan kind of freak out in the hallway even more. Two days later, Richard shows up at a bus stop and asks Linda exactly what he should include on the tape. He apologized for Dan's behavior, saying, you know, he was so shaken up, he actually needed to take time off from work. And after this encounter, Hopkins, you know, he really wants to talk to these guys in some way. So he get, passes a, a letter along to Linda. Um, and in it, he promises Richard anonymity. And he actually provides references for people that he has kept the secrets of, which I thought seemed kind of weird. Hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, like, how do you if you if you're keeping somebody anonymous, right? How do you provide them as a reference? Yeah, that part doesn't make sense. But there's a lot of things that don't make sense in this case. I'm getting the idea that these guys aren't actually cops. <laughs> oh, that I, I, I'd say 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. So three days later, Richard approaches Linda again while she's on the way to church with her husband. He's asking her what type of information he should actually put in this thing. And Linda actually passes him uh, Bud Hopkins's note as well. After this, Hopkins kind of points out to Linda, he's like, it, it seems like they know your schedule, you know, like they're performing surveillance on you. Linda recalls other weird instances that kind of connect. There's a chance maybe she met Dan before. There is another guy present wearing a weird Russian hat in one of the situations, yeah, well, which comes into play a little bit later. Yeah, what's that mean? Yeah, it's, you know, some stuff. <laughs> Thanks. So in early March of 91, Hopkins receives the tape with a note saying, Richard and Dan don't know how it'll help, but use it as you wish. They said they would get in touch and they also start the first of many creepy weird things in the note. It says, P.S. Linda is a darling little lady. Uh, that's weird. Yeah, there's there's a lot of weird shit going on like that in this case. So Richard is speaking on the tape. He has a strong New York accent. He says stuff like, Linda's a good character. You can bring that to the bank. <laughs> I like this guy. And so the tape is basically a detailed account of that night in 1989 from Richard's perspective. So at a later point, Hopkins receives a letter from Dan in which he's explaining the traumatic effect that witnessing the abduction has had on himself and Richard. Uh, they both feel extremely helpless. Richard follows Linda around and watches her to remind himself that she's okay. But Dan, on the other hand, whenever he sees her, it only makes him think of that night and he feels very traumatized by it. Dan states he's actually now sleeping with a sledgehammer in his bed. I think he says in the book, in, in the place of where a woman would be. Quick question. In a yeah. pinch, is a sledgehammer the best weapon to have? I'm assuming it's a small sledge like one of the handheld ones okay like a little one-handed jobby that's my guess i just think of like a giant knockdown wall sledgehammer no no i'm assuming it's a smaller one but who knows maybe dan is is a bigger guy from what i understand so maybe he was a good sledgehammer fighter okay sure richard actually keeps a blow-up doll in his bed hey man and to each sleeps his own. in a spare room you gotta do what you gotta do hey Watch out. <laughs> uh, but no, I, obviously he was using that as a decoy and sleeping in another room. And, you know, Dan states in the letter, in fact, if they could take Linda, they could find me and take me. We saw what they did. So both of these guys are kind of freaked out by this whole situation. Hopkins, his wife, April and Linda all start trying to figure out who these guys are because things are starting to get pretty intense. They use a contact of Hopkins who's an abductee himself, who works some kind of high-ranking civilian post in the New York PD, he, he looks at the info and thinks that these guys aren't police. He said that the way that they described locations was all wrong. Police will normally say stuff like, it was two blocks to the north or something, for instance. And in the letter, they say stuff like, it was two blocks to our left. Oh, uh, that is... And there's also some other turns of phrase that they say just didn't seem to fit with the way most cops would speak. Hmm. So in April, Hopkins receives another letter from Richard and Dan. They reveal that a third man was actually present on that night, and he's given them permission to give more details. Uh, the reason they kept it secret is that this guy is involved in global politics, and they were actually tasked with taking him to and from a secret meeting. So no one was supposed to know about this gotcha. situation. So he says, you know, their car died in an unfamiliar area and wouldn't start again. Uh, their radios also died. And because of the sensitive nature of this kind of mission they were on, they made the third man lie down in the back seat to avoid being spotted. 
And they were just waiting a while. They're like, okay, let's give it some time. You know, maybe the car will start in 10 minutes. While they were waiting, that was when they witnessed Linda's abduction. So when it was all said and done, the third man orders them to forget they were ever there. They remain in contact, though, and he's also still feeling guilt about the situation. So when Dan and Richard reached out to this mysterious third man, they told him, hey, we found the woman. Uh, So the guy had a change of heart and was like, okay, you can proceed and give some further details about this. Things start to get weird from here, as if they weren't weird already. Right. So in late April, Linda gets in touch with Budge. She's extremely frantic and tells him Richard and Dan abducted her. Uh, They forced her into her car and drove around for three hours asking her a bunch of questions. Dan seems to be kind of losing it and unraveling more and more. Uh, Richard is still being somewhat nice, but the whole situation freaks her out. You know, they're asking what what were those creatures? What was the light they were using to make you float? They ask her what color the light was from the ship. And she says it was maybe a whitish blue. And that caused Dan to freak out even more. Kind of swerves the car while he's driving. Uh, Linda starts asking them about their experience. They talk about feeling frustration and feeling helpless. Uh, Dan keeps accusing her of being one of them, and he insists on seeing her feet. She initially said no, but she consented eventually, thinking maybe this will calm them down. They look at her feet in the car, and it manages to convince them somehow that she's not an alien. Dan... I'd like to know what they were looking for. More on that later. Dan makes a creepy remark. It's his turn this time, saying he wished that she was his. Hmm. They both ask to hug her at the end of the experience. And while she's hugging Richard, he kisses her on the nose and says, I wish you were my little girl. Wait, so they abducted her to ask her these questions, basically accusing her of being an alien. And then they said, can I hug you? Yeah. And I mean, I'm assuming she was like, sure if this gets you away from me so one of the things about this case that i always found really interesting is just how fucking surreal everything is yeah like all of the interactions linda has with people seem so weird and dreamlike almost like they were fabricated from whole cloth yeah like almost like they were a mixture of maybe some kind of suggestion in a hypnotic state right and stuff just being made up almost but anyway, uh, and I want to oh, I was like, I'm thinking like, has anybody because Bud Hopkins has met Linda? Yes. But has anybody met Richard or Dan? More on that. Later. Oh, the suspense. <laughs> this is going to be a two parter for sure. Oh, fine. I continue. Yeah. Richard at the end of this kind of experience is like, are you going to report me? Are you going to report us? But Linda is just like, who who am I going to report you to the police? Later, when Linda is talking about all this with Hopkins, she says she doesn't actually want to report them because the nature of the event that links them is so strange. She doesn't know how she could go forward and say say this to the police or the government or whatever and have them take her seriously. She was also afraid of retaliation because Dan seemed pretty unhinged. And she also was pretty freaked out by the government as well, thinking, you know, if the government was in on this, She's heard stories about what 
happens in conspiracy theories and stuff, you know, to people who know too much. So Hopkins actually uses regressive hypnotherapy to get more details from the event. She calls back some stuff and actually is able to kind of figure out what the license plate looked like based on another vehicle that she saw at the scene. There was a Rolls Royce there with them when she was abducted. Mm -hmm. And it had pretty specific looking plates that had a very distinct pattern on it and realized that both of these license plates had these patterns. Hopkins was able to deduce from the pattern she described that these are actually license plates that belong to cars that were from a specific nation's delegation of the UN. Hmm. So these were like linked to the UN somehow. Another contact of Hopkins, who works in law enforcement, turns out he had hours and hours of UN footage uh, on videotape as as just a part of his job. Uh, So he tells Hopkins that if Richard and Dan are actually attached to the UN in some way, there's a chance Linda might be able to spot them by going back and reviewing these recordings. So it's successful. She actually sees Dan guarding Gorbachev at one point. What? Yeah, but later they they initially think, oh my God, so is he with the Russians? But then after reviewing the tape more carefully, realize he's probably just a part of the UN's internal security detail. So Hopkins uh, takes this tape, gets some stills taken from it, and has pictures available now of this guy named Dan. So they they begin searching for him. They go to the the chief of the UN's uh, security and safety service. He says, you know, that guy's not a part of our organization anyway. They came up with like a fabricated story that there were a couple visiting New York and they met a guy on vacation who said he worked for the UN and were really trying to track him down and had this video image of him, which I thought was pretty fucking weird. Uh, so they took this around and started talking to UN employees, uh, Russian delegates, and even NYPD, but didn't get any luck. Eventually, Hopkins does make a call to this undisclosed nation's UN mission about the Rolls Royce. And it does kind of yield something. The chief seems pretty suspicious about the situation. And then Hopkins is able to deduce the identity of the mysterious third man. Now, Hopkins never actually comes out and names the third man, even up until he died, which was in 2011, I think. He never publicly said who this person was. For a because the guy wanted to keep it secret, or B, he was scared of getting sued. Because this person, all the researchers who have gone on since, all unanimously agree that it is a guy named Javier Perez de Cuellar, who is the Secretary General of the United Nations from 82 to 91. He's a guy from Peru, I believe. He's still alive. He has been asked about this on numerous occasions, and every time has flat out denied that this story is true. Yo, are we going to get sued? Because that we might. Because that would be great publicity. It would, man. Get a lot of listeners here. Yes. So in May of that year, Linda encounters Richard while she's out shopping and super freaked out. She's running from him and actually manages to get hit by the car that Richard is driving. She's not seriously injured and manages to escape. Linda also starts noticing she's being followed. There's a guy in a gray van that's been following her around and watching her. So she starts freaking out, doesn't want to leave the apartment alone, feels trapped. And Hopkins feels bad for her and reaches out to a wealthy friend of his who has funded some of his work in the past, a guy by the name of Robert Bigelow. What? Dude is involved in everything, man. Bigelow comes back. So Bigelow actually offers to pay a part-time 
off-duty law enforcement officer to be her bodyguard. Hopkins hires one of those law enforcement contacts from earlier, a guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph, after working with Linda for a little while, says, you know, he's starting to believe her. He points out that the picture of Dan taken from the UN video would be a really risky move to try to do if you were a hoaxer, which I don't really follow that logic. Yeah. Uh, he, he, I guess he was just thinking how bad it could blow back on you if they're like, okay, yeah, we know who this guy is. Oh, wait, no, this is not him at all. Or it'd be really easy to figure out who it was. And so if they were trying to fake it, it'd be a dumb way to go. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that is too strong of an argument though. Yeah. So in September, Joseph sees what he describes as a Middle Eastern looking man following Linda around while she's out shopping. When this guy realizes Joseph has him made, he sees him talk into a small walkie-talkie and then kind of run off. They manage to escape and see a gray van pick this dude up and then then speed off. Also in that month, Dan sends Hopkins a letter that he went on to consider the single most important document of the case. This letter starts off with Dan apologizing to Linda and Bud for the way that they've acted up until this point. He says that they've read Intruders. Now they're much more informed on the alien abduction phenomena. And he claims that he, Richard, and this mysterious third man all recalled a memory triggered by the word sand in their in their separate lives. So now all three of them know the phrase Lady of the Sands, and they also remember a whole lot more. So that night in 1989, they remember waking up on the beach immediately following Linda's abduction. They claim that they saw Linda and three aliens digging in the sand with scoop shovels and emptying them into rectangular pails with lights on them. Linda was speaking. They thought maybe it was a foreign language or they just couldn't make out what she was saying. But Linda eventually approaches them with the aliens. She holds up a dead fish to the men and says, look and see what you have done. Hmm. She seems angry and has tears in her eyes when this is happening. They ask her who she is. She doesn't reply, but one of the aliens does. The alien says, lady Lady of the sands. sands. As Linda and the aliens walk away, Dan can see that the creatures don't have toes. That's why he's obsessed with the feats. Yes, or he was just a nasty pervert. Hey, teach his own, baby. Hey. So after this, they woke up back at the car. Uh, The third man was actually on the roof, kind of freaking out, and they had to calm him to prevent him from hurting himself. They all watched the river for 45 minutes from here, which in the first account, they said that happened because they were waiting for the ship to resurface. Uh, So Dan claims that his behavior up until this point was because of this hidden memory, and they're like fucking him up. He states that because Linda was working with the aliens that night, he can't be certain that she's not one of them somehow. Richard, however, believes Linda's story. One of the the quotes from this letter that I enjoyed was, Dan says, do you want to take this one? As Joey Bagadon? Oh, please. As for me, Linda's a pain in the rump. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Dan closes the letter insisting that he's going to find her and talk to her. And he asks Bud to just tell her not to run from him because it'll just make everything easier. And then he also ends the letter with, do you want to take this one as well? Please tell her we honestly didn't kill that fish. I like that he was worried about that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So in late September, Hopkins decides he needs to meet with Linda. He does another hypnotic regression with her to find information out about that night. Linda now 
very conveniently recalls being taken to the beach that night after her abduction. She says they were looking for traces of basaltic lava and that if they could find traces of this there on the beach, they would know why the sea creatures were dying. She said she found the dead fish, got really upset, and, and does remember showing it to the men. And during this session, she now realizes that these men were actually Richard and Dan. Hmm. So I think we're going to stop here. This is weird. Because there's a, it, a lot more. This is weird. Yeah, yeah. Like, why it, now all of a sudden in 1991 does she remember after all these years and these dudes talking to her and following her that she knew them on the beach? Yeah. Well, from the literature standpoint, that's how repressed memories work. Okay. That they're in there, that their brain blocks it out, or it's blocked out somehow by the, the aliens. But yeah, I guess we'll get into the critique in the end. Okay. Because, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to say about this case in general. Quite a mystery you have brought us. Oh, indeed. Now, on the podcast somehow, at some point, are you going to talk about your own alien abduction? What? Nelson Mandela took you. Stop it, Dennis. Never. I. You know what this is going to drive me to if you keep fucking with me like that? What, what's it? What's going to happen? I'm going to have to get over my cowardice and start smoking crack. To deal with it, you'll never, you'll, you, you, you'll never do it. You're not nearly as brave as Viper. It's true. And on that note, that's all the time we have for this call. Time to go smoke some crack. Try to get back to my world. Oh, you'll never make it. <laughs> Your airship is left. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Best Friend Simulator. Send us an email at joshanddennis at gmail.com. That's Dennis with one N. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best Friend Simulator. And thanks to Alan for the theme music. Listen to his podcast, Werewolf Ambulance, and Marveling at Marvel's Marvels. Also, thanks to Justin for the artwork. See more of his stuff at burntobuild.com. That's all the time we have for this outro. Bye. Bye.